mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Hey everybody, welcome to Marriage or Martinis. I'm Adam, here's Danielle. Hello. It's been a lazy weekend. <laughs> I think this yesterday might have been my laziest day almost ever. Yeah. I, I, I laid in bed and watched, anybody seen The Chef Show? Really good. Based on I'm the Chef movie? Yeah. With uh, John Favreau. John Favreau and the Sophia cook. Vergara no. is in it. Yeah, John Leguizamo. Not, not in Chef Show. No, the movie Chef. Yes. Which is amazing. Yeah. No, the chef show is John Favreau and the guy who taught him how to cook for the movie, going around to different cities and cooking and showing how they. It's like a reality. Yeah, if you show. haven't watched that movie, we our son we've watched it with our son. I think like fifteen times. Yeah. it's so good. And oh, Scarlett Johansson's in it too. Right. Yeah. Anyway. Anyway. <laughs> anyway. Anyway, happy Yum Kipper. <laughs> well, I was going to say, it's supposed to be a lazy right. weekend. You're supposed to be repenting for your sins. Can you say happy Yom Kippur? No, I don't no. think so. No, shall Yom Tov. Well, that's happy new year. Easy fast. Anyway. Anyway. <laughs> Go ahead. I am so excited about this episode. We have been tackling this issue, well, in our marriage for years. But on the podcast, I think before it really, all these books and everything came out about it, which is what we called the mental load back when we first recorded our first episode about it, which I guess was like an, a year and a half ago, which was all about the inequitable division of labor in the home. And I talk about in this episode with Eve Rodsky, the fact that when we recorded that episode, um, it opened up a can of worms in our marriage that I think had been like festering and blistering. And when we had that talk about it, there it was explosive. Um, we've come a long way since then. We have a lot of work to do. I was going to have you on this episode to do the interview with me. Selfishly, part of me really just wanted to talk to Eve, woman to woman, um, wife to wife, mom to mom, and just really find out from her all about her research without having to defend myself and everything. And I felt a little bit like I was going to have to do that. So I want you to listen to the episode. I want husbands everywhere and partners everywhere to listen to this episode because Eve Rodsky is really working to change society one marriage at a time by coming up with a 21st century solution to an age-old problem. Women shouldering the brunt of child-rearing and domestic life responsibilities, regardless of whether they work outside the home. 
Um, and a movement has recently begun exposing the unsustainable mental load that women shoulder, but no practical systematic solution has been offered until now. I love Eve Rodsky so much. I loved her before I spoke to her, and now I am I'm just in love with the person she is. You can see and feel the emotion that she is so passionate about what she researches and so passionate about the fact that she wants women to just stop feeling so overwhelmed and burdened and to start having the same benefits and acknowledgement and mental freedom that a lot of men experience for the same work. She's a Harvard Law graduate who worked with hundreds of families over a decade. She realized that her expertise in family mediation, strategy, and organizational management could be applied to a problem closer to home, a system for couples seeking balance, efficiency, and peace inside their home. She was born and raised by a single mom in New York City and now lives in Los Angeles with her husband and three children. She's such an extraordinary person. I could have spoken to her for hours. I can't wait for you to hear this episode. Go buy the book, Fair Play. It is a must-have, and she's mailing us the cards for the new um, game and system that she's come up with. And we are going to do them and video and do an episode about it. Um, And I'm really looking forward to it. Enjoy Eve Rodsky. So our listeners know about a year and a half ago, I guess before all these books, you know, and all this information kind of was starting to come out about what we called the mental load. Yes. um, Adam and I did an episode where we kind of like talked about, it was me sort of talking to him about this feeling that I had, not really knowing what it was, Mm -hmm. but this feeling of, I am feeling like I'm drowning. And, you know, we have three kids. And at the time, we referred to me as a stay-at-home mom, but we had this podcast and everything. So it was, I wasn't really just, you know, not just a stay-at-home mom, but I wasn't a stay, I had this I was building this business with him. Yeah, you have a business, exactly. Yeah, and it's so interesting because we had we we did the the um, episode, and when we were done recording, usually we fight on air. But my sister was there; she's like a life coach, and she was like there with us, so we didn't fight on air. But when we got done, I would say it was in the top three biggest fights we've ever had, because yeah. I think that there was so much defensiveness mm-hmm. and it was me sort of saying, I, I do all these things. And he took that as, well, I do all these things too. Mm-hmm. So ev- for every, you know, thing that I said, he had a, like a tat, like a, you know, a, a backup, a, well, you don't know about the saltwater tank and you don't know about the lawn care and you don't. So it wound up being, I mean, it actually wound up being a really good fight like we had to have it but it was explosive Uh, well Danielle that's exactly what happened in the midst of learning about as you said the mental load and really coming to consciousness for me as well Um, because what I realized and um, my journey to fair play went through many iterations of Seth sending me a text I'm surprised you didn't get blueberries And I write about how that put me on the side of the road in tears um, and horrific overwhelm, thinking, blaming myself that I used to be able to manage an employee team, you know, and now I can't even manage a grocery list. I'd opted out of the traditional workforce. All of that 
um, led me to this, um, should I do spreadsheet? And the reason why I bring it up, because um, we, we, we moved a lot further away from that from, from now into a system, but at the beginning of this journey to understand what was happening to me, felt a lot about like what you, you, you described with, with, with your husband, because it was a, um, this amazing communal exercise where, and so I'll just give you a little story of, of something that really, it, there was an impetus to this, and I promise you I'll get back to understanding uh, why this can be a do no harm, which is what I want to get to, why consciousness raising without a solution can really do harm. And I worried about that. Um, but I was on this breast cancer march right after um, I was starting to come to, like you said, I was sort of coming to the second wave of understanding, oh, wow, there's this literature out there on the mental load and, um, and I'm holding all of this labor for my family called emotional labor. And I'd heard of the second shift, but I still exactly wasn't sure. And then I go on this breast cancer march with the most powerful women I know. I had, there was an Oscar winning producer there. We had uh, the head of stroke and trauma for Cedar sinai And we had this morning off, it was a Saturday morning. And it, we were all covered in pink. We were, you know, my friend had passed away in law school. We were honoring her. We were holding signs, marching, saying, you know, not just a female problem, courage, strength, and power. We had this beautiful morning. Um, and it was a, really felt like a girlfriend's getaway before we could do that stuff. And, um, but what I like to say about it is it reminded me of like a reverse Cinderella where it was noon and then literally like a, um, like the clock striking 12, all of a sudden, all of our phones started blowing up and we started getting texts from our significant others and the substitute women they had brought in that morning to help them like mothers-in-laws and babysitters. And the text said things like, uh, where'd you put Hudson's soccer bag? Um, another text from my friend's uh, husband said, you know, what's the address of the birthday party and why didn't you leave me a gift? And then my favorite was my friend Kate's partner who said, um, do the kids need to eat lunch? And I don't know, what do you think? But right. it, was, it was this, um, but what was sad about that day was um, we were supposed to have lunch. And I made this reservation at this dim sum place downtown Los Angeles, but all of those women, I was with nine other women, um, they looked at me and said, you know what? Uh, I think we should skip lunch. Uh, you know, we left our partners with too much to do. And so I watched these powerful women who are so used to using their voice in such powerful ways and articulate ways, all of a sudden just lose their voice to go home, right? To go find that soccer bag to go get the perfectly wrapped gift to the birthday party and to ultimately make their children lunch. And I think that was the beginning of understanding that I had to resist. And yeah. so that, that day I counted up and I talk about this in fair play, but I counted up the, the texts and, and phone calls we had received. And it was 30 phone calls and 46 texts for 10 women over 30 minutes. Wow. And so why I think that's so important is because when I understood that that was what I was trying to get at, right, this, this point that I hadn't been able to articulate to, to, to Seth, this overwhelm, um, what I did was I called all those women and women I didn't even know started to, uh, to help me inf inform this quest I had to do more than just count up that day, but to count up every single thing 
that women did that took more than two minutes. And so that, that to me was the beginning part of this journey, this idea of what if I put this in a giant Excel spreadsheet? I'm a mediator and a lawyer. So should I do spreadsheet? I made this gorgeous Excel tabs with everything from uh, you know meal planning to uh, holidays to gratitude, like thank you notes. But so the beauty of that was all these other women weighed in. It took me nine months to source 2,000 items of invisible work. Um, you know, I had obviously things like making school lunches or attending dental appointments. The women I didn't even know started to weigh in like, you forgot Elf on the Shelf. That's 20 minutes times 20 nights. I was like, okay, well, I'm a Jew, so I don't know what that <laughs> is. But yes, I'll, I'll add Elf on the Shelf in, right? Um, other women said, you know, I received your spreadsheet um, and uh, you have two minutes here for sunscreen, I noticed. But what about the 30 minutes for the chase? Right. So I was like, okay, 30 minutes for the chase, you know? And then finally, um, I get a call. And again, you can't make this stuff up from a woman who had received my spreadsheet from a friend who got it from the Jewish Federation of Arizona. So I have no idea how it got there. But the should I do spreadsheet got to this woman. And she said, I just want to leave you a message to let you know that I got your spreadsheet. Thank you. But I'm leaving my marriage. Mm. So this is a long way to say that that conversation, right, that you had that night with Adam um, it's almost like that. It's a do no harm. And so, so many women said that they forward these emotional labor articles to their partners. Um, but what I did, which was a real mistake, was I sent this nine month crazy project that Seth didn't even know I was working on. Similar to your podcast night, I decided to send the 19 million megabyte spreadsheet to Seth one day with no context and just a subject line from an email. Can't wait to discuss. <laughs> and so, <laughs> as you, it was very similar to Adam's response, um, well, or or a version of it. It was just a fucking emoji. I just I didn't even get right. the courtesy of like the three three monkeys, just like the sad monkey that was covering its eyes. Mm. And so the reason why I bring that up is because I think when we have these conversations, often the danger is the home presents really small. So my marriage was collapsing over Seth sending me a text. I'm surprised you didn't get blueberries because my marriage was collapsing over being the fulfiller of my husband's smoothie needs. Um, this other woman was her marriage ended because she saw how much invisible work she was doing. And the point is that if we, st or one man, actually, again, this is sad, but sort of funny um, in a tragic Shakespearean way, but uh, a man weighed in that he's his, his marriage is ending over a glue stick in White Plains, right. New York. And so we can unpack why, but we can all understand what that oh, means. Oh, it's the straw that broke yeah, the camel's back. Yeah. Exactly. Totally. Um, and so I think that's the danger. Uh, this is a long way to say that there's a lot of danger in these conversations if we're not willing to practice them and commit to them because these one-off conversations um, can do harm. Yeah. Well, that's what wound up happening was, you know, we we wound up basically going back and forth, I would say for months of, you know, well, you do this, but will I do that? You know, it, and it got us nowhere. Um, and obviously then, sorry, uh, <laughs> then all these, um, you know, you know, the, these things came out where we could start to contextualize it. You know, we could start to sort of say, oh, okay, well, it's it's shown that, you know, uh, women do 65% of the domestic labor or whatever the, you know, and I could bring him these statistics and everything, 
But even still, I think what we're so worried about and what I was really worried about was being the nagging wife. You know yes. what I mean? That, that every time I would bring it up, I, I would be the nagging wife. And nobody wants to be that person. Um, and so what I love so much about fair play and especially about the cards is that you are really, I mean, literally putting it into play. So do you yeah. want to tell us a little bit about, about what this is going to do? Because like, like we said, we can go in circles forever with the, I do this, you do this, you don't understand. And it gets us nowhere. And I think we're also afraid to bring it up because we don't want to go down that path. And you know, it gets you nowhere, you know, it gets, or you get to a place where you just say, fuck it. Right. Um, having it all does mean doing it all. And that's where I was after the spreadsheet, because Danielle, you can imagine, I was so proud of this nine months, <laughs> this project, because, you know, it took a lot of work to source the 2000 items of invisible work. And um, I had this community of women behind me and I felt so empowered. And then to have like my balloon just burst from Seth, um, you know, not saying basically to me, I don't even want to see this, right? Um, this means nothing to me. But then I realized, so I was at this inflection point and I think it reminds me a lot of what we are at now in terms of an inflection point of how we value care and women's um, labor in, in most cases. Um, so I was at a point where I said to myself, okay, I have three options. One, I could follow the, you know, there was no untamed back then, right? But there was a eat, pray, love narrative, right? I could, um, a lot of women who I found were really empowered said that they, they left their relationships, right? And that's when they got balance because their partner finally saw all the invisible work and they didn't have to worry about the sponge in the sink because it wasn't their sink, right? So that's one option. Um, but for me, that didn't feel like the right option because A, I really enjoyed Seth and he was a, a, so my soulmate in many ways. And also um, I'm a product of a single mother. And so I had a, a horrific trauma from a terrible uh, divorce and, um, and all the, what it, what it did to me and my brother. So um, I was reticent to just jump to that as a solution for me, not saying that doesn't work for other people. Um, so the blow up my life option was not going to work for me. So then my next option was I could just resign myself to doing it all. Like you, you know, after your conversation with Adam, right? Okay. Well, he just doesn't see it. And so I'll just continue on and just shut my mouth. But then what I realized about that option was like, I was becoming a gray version of myself. Danielle, I was losing my identity. Um, I didn't know who I was anymore. I did feel like everything that went wrong was the blame should be on me. Um, I felt a lot of guilt and shame for not doing things perfectly. I was sort of spiraling, I will say. Um, I had left a traditional workforce. I had, I had started my own firm because I, and I quote, quote unquote, say opted out because now I learned it's a structural issue that I was pushed out. But at the time I thought I was choosing more flexibility. So I'd, I'd opted out of the traditional workforce. So that was option two. But finally, what I decided on was, okay, I know lists alone don't work. I just proved that to myself. But what does work is systems. Systems do. And I'd been building systems for 10 years for the most highly complex families in this country. I'm a family mediator and advisor. I, my job is the HBO show Succession, basically. So if anybody has seen that show, you should feel bad for me because those are the <laughs> clients I have. But they don't make you play bore on the floor, do they? No, but, but you know, <laughs> but we can talk about some crazy, crazy scenarios. I should consult for that show. 
So, but that was something I realized that I had a unique skill set where I could start building a system for my home. And so that's what Fair Play became. It became a system based on what I do for my clients for a decade, which is a values-based mediation system, which is coming to the table to align on your values first, and then you get to the what. But if you don't have your why, if you don't have an invitation to come to the table, then oftentimes you will end up feeling like the nagging wife, right? Because you're always the one saying, well, who's taking blank to soccer? And did you get the bags and are the trash bins out, right? It's just that just dying in decision fatigue and over and over again, where you're having the same Groundhog's Day conversations. So that's what fair play is. It's a metaphor. It's a card game. There were a hundred cards. It was derived from the shit I do spreadsheet, but now it's in a much more uh, user-friendly way instead of a crazy Excel sheet. There's a hundred cards. It represents a metaphor for everything that would take more than two minutes in your home. And what you're looking at the cards for is what you value together as a, a couple. And then you can decide who does what, the ownership mindset of it. But it's really two things. It's what you value together because we don't have these conversations. And then it's who adopts an ownership mindset to hold that task from start to finish. That's really all it is. And it's not rocket science, but it is something that works in the workplace. And, it, and that's where the, 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 uh, the system and the science is derived from. I love it. And talk to me about, I think, what people are probably thinking, which is the first thing that I thought of was, it sounds like a great idea. How do I present this to my partner? <laughs> that's never one question that I get all the time. So I think let's back up for a minute and say, um, we need to talk about communication. And I think this is um, something, again, that as a mediator, I've been saying for 10 years, and, um, and I'm double and triple and quadruple trained in uh, communication. And it's, it's something that's, there is scholarship behind it. And what, what you learn when you, when you mediate and when you talk about communication is that so many people, and I did this with, I interviewed 500 men and women for Fair Play during the beta testing phase. Uh, that mirrored the U.S. Census. Now we have thousands and thousands of people and data and playing, which is so cool. Um, but the thing about communication is when I ask people about it, most people told me that they use communication as a means to an end. So what I mean by that is, well, when, what happens when you communicate? So I'd ask people, well, I communicate because the garbage has to go out. I communicate because my daughter needs to log on to Zoom, right? There, it's a means to an end. Never in my entire practice over a decade has anyone ever told me that they use communication as a practice. So what I'm here to say is that the communication mindset I'm asking of fair play is to treat communication as a practice, more important than self-isolating in a dark room for 20 minutes, more important than meditation, it's more important than exercise. And what a practice of communication means is that, and this happens in the workplace, this is, again, this is based in science, that when you have a yearly review, you're not gonna hear anything important. Um, when you say we need to talk, you're not gonna hear anything important. Um, but when you start sitting down for 10 minutes a night and just start checking in with each other to say, we're gonna to commit to this as a practice. I have no idea what I'm gonna to say to you. Uh, it's gonna feel like exercise. We're not gonna to wanna to be here. Let's bring tequila or ice cream with us. But this oh. idea of when I ask couples, do you check in every single day for 10 minutes a day? Do you set a timer? Do you look face-to-face? -face? And you do it every single day like exercise? Most people thought I was, I was crazy. Mm -hmm. But I'm here to tell you that that's probably the most important thing you can do 
And so before you even get to the what or the idea of a rebalance or an entirely new disruptive, you know, fair play is like the Uber for the home. It's a home disruption. Um, and it's, it's to make your life way more efficient and to, so you're not dying in decision fatigue. Before you get there though, um, I think that idea of how do, you, how do you communicate is really important. Yeah. And I think that one of the things that we, you talk about confronting, right? That you don't want to, we don't want to, I can't remember the term that you use, but confronting the problem rather than, you know, hiding from the problem. And I think as a podcast, that's one thing that we're always trying to get people to do and uh, maybe at our own expense is to like, you know, get people. But I think it's the confrontation part of it that the sitting down and the, oh God, this is going to end in a fight. You know what I mean? That, that, that's what we're all worried about is that this is going to, you know, again, the nagging and then this is going to end in a fight. But, um, but so for the cards, what's so awesome about it is that you have, I feel like you have all of the tasks, you know, the, the menial tasks and, you know, the ecosystem of the home and everything, but there's also these other cards the unicorn cards and um you know the the magic cards and do you want to talk a little bit about those sure um and but i think i want to first talk uh talk about what you just said which i think is so important about this idea of not confronting because it's going to lead to a fight yeah so i think one if i could just i'll throw in three little tips that you can do starting tonight um and we already ended with the spoiler alert, which is that you're gonna set a check-in, right? But the first, I think, is really what you said, Danielle, about um, recognizing that if you believe that, right, that I don't, I don't talk about domestic life because it's gonna end in a fight. I'm here to tell you, you are already communicating about domestic life. So when I, when I talk to so many women, I had this one woman early on in my research, this is early, like it's probably eight years ago, and I said, uh, okay, how do you communicate about domestic life? And she was like, well, I don't. It's just too triggering. We always end up in a fight. Okay, doesn't communicate about domestic life. And then Danielle, 20 minutes later, she says, well, every time my husband forgets to put the you know, laundry in the dryer, I just dump the wet clothes on his pillow. Okay, so then <laughs> I wrote, communicates about domestic life. Okay? Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com So I spoke, to, I spoke to this woman um, who told me she does not communicate about domestic life, right? Daniel, I'm writing it down, does not communicate about domestic life. And then 20 minutes, unironically, she says, well, when my husband forgets to put the laundry in the dryer, I just dump it on his pillow. <laughs> so then I wrote in big letters, communicates about domestic life. And then this other woman, same thing. I don't communicate about domestic life. It's too triggering. I find out she has an Instagram account called the shit my husband doesn't pick up. <laughs> um, and by the way, when I said that, uh, and I talked, I was talking to Pepsi about that. Uh, I had two other women eat, DM me say, how did you know about my Instagram account? I was like, what? There's more, <laughs> how many, how many should I don't pick up? Should I probably shaming on Instagram right. you get? And this is why fair play became a love letter to men 
because this is not working for men either, right? This, it just, it's just, it's a, it's a mess. The way we communicate at the home is a mess. Even this woman in COVID, same thing. She, she had this awesome post in this 27,000 member COVID group that said, it was called the reasons I hate my partner. Um, and it said during COVID. And then she, she posted, well, if my husband dies during COVID, it's not because of the disease, it'll be because of me. Right. And I reached out to her and I was like, tell me about how you communicate about domestic life. And she's like, well, I don't, this is my safe space. I'm like, so publicly shaming your husband and telling <laughs> murder of him in a 27,000 member forum is how you communicate. That's your safe space. Right. You're not talking directly to your partner. So, so I guess what I want to say here is that we are already, number one, you are already communicating about domestic life. As a mediator, I can go onto your Nest Cam. I don't have to even hear your freaking audio. I will tell you you're communicating about domestic life. So once you recognize I'm asking for a shift, this is not a start. Then I had so many more couples say, I'm willing to come to the table. Mm-hmm. So that was number one. You treat this as a shift. Number two, you um, do not give feedback in the moment. And we'll talk a little bit about that. And number three is what I said to you before is you want to start you want to start, um, start having check-ins. You want to start having a time when you can communicate when emotion is, is low and cognition is high. And again, so many people say, the reason I had to tell him about the yellow rag in the sink was because we never get to talk about domestic life. Well, it's not really an emergency. Your partner can't hear you. You're screaming at them in the moment. Um, those are the vulnerabilities that we often bring into the home. And so it really requires just a real, or just a reset button. We push a button and we say, communication is a practice. It's not a means to an end. And we're gonna start investing in our communication as a couple, the same way we're investing in freaking hand sanitizer. Mm-hmm. I love what you said about this was also a love letter to Ben. I think that's so important because I think that a man will look at this book or look at this deck of cards or you know this conversation about this topic. And the first thing they're going to think is we're being shamed. And that is so true that that's not what it is. I mean, I hate to bring it down to this, but I remember us, I was talking about this in another episode with somebody where, you know, we we all know that when, you know, when a man is or a husband or a partner is helping more around the house, you're having more sex, you're having better (laughs) sex, you're having more romance, you're, you know, life is happier and more fun. And, and calmer. So it just seems to me like, like you said, it's not working for anybody. This is, it's just as much, I, I feel like who doesn't want that? Like we can all think of the most pivotal, happiest time in our own relationship, right? Like we obviously were there because we're ma- or married or in a relationship or, you know, together, we've been there. We know what that feels like. And don't we all want to be there as much as possible? And people will say to me, well, systems aren't fun. I was like, well, you know, it's not fun dumping wet clothes on your husband's right. <laughs> right. That's not fun for him. Right. Totally. So why, why, I, I love men. And actually um, men are, are more, almost even more responsive than, than women. They say, well, I can't get my wife to the table a lot of times. And what's so beautiful about what men say to me was that the number one thing they say to me about, oh, uh, hold on. You can't oh, that's right okay. Now. Here, come here. Well, first come say hi to Danielle. You can't just bust in. Hi. Oh. Uh, you can't right now, but let me just take you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take her out right now. Hold on one second. That's okay. Go yeah. ahead. Yeah, come here. You can say hi, but I got to take you out. I'm almost done. Come here. Come here. 
You're very heavy. <laughs> yeah. I know, but baby, you can't, you can't stay here. Yeah, I know. I know. Okay. Okay, I'm back. Hi. Back to women being back to women being interrupted every three minutes. Oh my god! Right no, it is, it is um, craziness. Yeah. So I think um, the what the number one thing men said they hated about home life. When I asked them what was the hardest for them about home life, um, it was sort of a surprising answer because I thought it would be nagging. Nagging was number two. Um, and that's a very gendered role. And we'll talk a little bit, unpack that a little bit. But the number one thing they said was that they can't get anything right. That was the number one thing that men said they hated about home life. And that wasn't just hetero cisgender men. That, that, there was some of this um, dynamic playing out in same-sex couples as well. Even though they, I will say that especially same-sex um, male couples do a much better job communicating because they don't have these uh, gender norms to fall into. So um, mm -hmm. we can learn a lot from same-sex male couples. But really what, what Fair Play was designed to do, oh, and I'll tell you the number one thing women said they hated about home life. And that was this chronic fatigue, decision fatigue, insomnia, and autoimmune diseases, all these um, costs of not being able to shut their minds off. Um, and it's only gotten worse with COVID. Correct. Exactly. Just the, the interruptions, the no boundaries, the um, I'm everything to everybody at all time, just feeling like they were, like you said beautifully, Danielle, to start this off, that drowning. Yeah. Um, drowning. And so the only really the reason why fair play is an ownership mindset is because if you look at what women say they hate about home life in my research and what men say, really the only way you would uh, address that, and this is what men, and I will say my favorite men are coaches um, and men in the army, in the military, because they really understand the, the importance of knowing your role in systems. And so I get my systems adoptees because they understand, they, and, I, and they, a lot of them will say, I'm willing to accept the female anger in the first part of your book, because the solution has been so damn practical. So I was like, okay, thank you for accepting female anger. Any yeah. man that's listening right now will say, thank you for accepting this female anger. It's, it's just eye raising for you, but we're not living in the anger. We're moving past it now. And the, really the way to write the, the, the tit for tat, as you were saying before, Danielle, is this idea of an ownership mindset. So thank God for Carol Dweck. She, she started this growth mindset that our kids are adopting. So people understand the idea of what a mindset is now. And so I've always talked about an ownership mindset. And that's, if you look at the crux of fair play, it's just understanding the way mustard gets into your refrigerator. And so that analogy is helpful because easy. Everybody has the condiment in their refrigerator, or a lot of us do, right? And so how did it get there? Well, as we know, it didn't fly there, um, but somebody had to know, Danielle, right? That your second son, Johnny, likes French's yellow mustard with his protein. Otherwise he chokes, he won't eat it, right? So in the business world, in the systems world, we have a name for that. That's the conception phase. And then someone has to monitor that mustard for when it's running low and put it on a grocery list with everything else you need for the week. In the systems organizational management world, we call that phase the planning phase. And then someone has to get their butt to the store. 
Now it's a little more complicated, right? With gloves, masks, whatever you need. Yeah. But then someone has to get their butt to the store uh, to go purchase the French's yellow mustard. And that's uh, the execution phase. That's a specific organizational management phase. And what my research showed, and this was universal across cultures. I didn't talk to every single, I didn't like talk to anybody in North Korea, for example, but I have China, I have Japan, I have Sweden, the Netherlands, UK, Australia, on and on, uh, really a, a panoply of, of research. And what it found was that in the hetero cisgender relationships, in all cultures, men were stepping into the execution phase. And then you guys are bringing home spicy Dijon every fucking time, right? <laughs> I ask you for French's yellow. And then don't you sit here. Have you not been sitting at the table for seven years when uh, Johnny eats dinner? Are you not watching? You know, and all of a sudden you can hear my tone changing and we're not talking about mustard anymore. So as a right. mediator, we say that's a red flag. If our conversation just moved from mustard to accountability and trust, then, then that's not ever a good sign. Right. And that's ultimately where these, that's exactly what we said when we started this was that's where ultimately these conversations end up a defensiveness about accountability and trust, right? Like, well, how can I trust you with my living will? If you can't even fucking put a garbage liner back in the garbage, that's where we end up. And then um, a third of us divorce over these issues, over these unfairness of domestic, domestic life. And so really the only way to alleviate that burden is to fix the system. And the system is fixed when you hold the conception, planning, and execution together. That's the science of motivation. No man, and I will say this, this is why it's a love letter to men, no man is motivated by what I call the rat fuck, the random assignment of a task. It does not work anywhere else. It's not helpful in the home. And that's why, back to the, my glue stick man, I can understand being asked to get a glue stick in the middle of the day would fall off your mind because it's a random assignment of a task. There's no context, there's no control, there's nothing, just the nag or the rat fuck as I talk about it. And then his wife tells me that, you know, she had spent two weeks on the Einstein project, had done everything for the project, had a huge job, and she was done with him. So she locked him out of the house. <laughs> back, to, back to communicating. But we, and we, I think we can all, um, there, there are so many of us, I'm sure, who are like, yeah, I, I get that. And there have been times where I was, you know, a sliver of a hair away from doing the same thing. But again, but I, but again, back to where my loyalties lie now, a lot of it lies in, in the aggrieved partner. And if it's the other way around, if you're a breadwinning mother and you do this to your, your stay at home dad, um, it could work the other way as well. But it's the aggrieved partner who's getting the receiving end of all these rat fucks. Right? right, where you don't say, I trust you with the full task. And mm -hmm. so if, if she had handed over the full Einstein assignment and said, I trust you with this homework assignment, um, and, if, and, and I trust you to carry through the mistakes. If it doesn't get done and the teacher's call and whatever repercussions happen, that's you, right? But you, you talk about, you negotiate these things in advance. When you customize your defaults, this is the lawyer and me talking, this is what the state does. We customize defaults so we know what the laws are, right? We know that you will get arrested if you run someone over the stop sign. If I didn't know every single time at the stop sign what would happen if someone ran me over, society is chaos, right? S systems are important. And that's really why um, Fair Play is a love letter to men because uh, I don't want them stepping in at the execution. I trust you to own the conception and planning. And by doing that, which I did for Seth, and it's changed our lives, is that now I sleep better. 
because I have a lot less stuff on my plate. Mm-hmm. So yes, yeah, so the, talk to me about, so you're talking about the CPE, this conception, the planning and the execution. So for each of these cards, that's what that is that, you know, for each of these cards that you're being dealt, you know, like in, in all um, literal form, the hand you're being dealt, these are the tasks, what for the week, for the month? It, can, it really depends. I will say that most people do a weekly check-in and they say, these are the cards I'm holding this week. Um, a lot of people in COVID told me they moved it up to a nightly check-in. Like Seth and I redeal cards every day because sometimes I'm watching Anna and other times he's watching Anna and we have to check in really every night because we both have very dynamic uh, careers that change a lot. And by da- dynamic, I don't mean amazing. I mean dynamic in that there's a lot of moving parts. Um, and really, but some stay forever. So Seth took over extracurricular sports for, and remember this, this is not 50-50. So I wanna say that I'm not a- even asking you to aim for a 50-50 split of the cards. I'm asking you to decide what feels fair to both parties. Mm-hmm. If you're at Resentometer 10, then that's, I'm telling you things are not feeling fair to you. But if things feel fair now, great. You're just optimizing, you're just clarifying expectations. If you're at Resentometer 10, um, it's going to take a little while to do some check-ins with your partner to get yourself grounded a little bit before you can have these conversations. But the sweet spot where I was, I was at a 10, so I had to write a book about it. But most people, I think, are <laughs> at a four or a five. Um, that's a good time to start implementing these practices. Uh, the more kids you have, the more stress. Obviously, COVID has been really hard on people. But I will say these are, I think the idea of starting with what I call the dirty dozen is a good place to start. So this is some new data for you, Danielle. Okay. I went out and interviewed 100 more couples about what are the cards. So again, as you said, Fair plays 100 cards. Uh-huh. Um, but there are um, certain cards uh, where the conception, planning, and execution um, is falling on one person and they're causing a lot of burnout and trouble. And what I mean by that is if you think about this, I'm going to tell you the 12. Um, and if you have kids, there'll be all 12. And if you don't, there'll be, I think, eight. And if you are somebody who's holding all the conception and planning, so again, I'm not, I don't care if your partner's helping you fold the laundry, but if you're the one who's remembering it and getting it out of the hampers, right? If you're, if you're the one planning the your partner's cooking, but you're the one meal planning and setting out the grocery list. That's what I mean by conception and planning. And if you really want to see the full breakdown, uh, I have on my website, Fair Play Life, there's an entire CP checklist, which breakdowns every single card to its conception, planning, and execution. If you're you're curious, it's actually great to show kids that because that's a, a failure to launch skill that kids do not do the conception and planning of their own life. And we can talk about that. So these are the dirty dozen that showed up in my survey. One, laundry, two, groceries, three, meals, four, home supplies, like hand sanitizer, wipes, um, five, tidying up, six, cleaning, seven, dishes, eight, garbage. Now, if you have children, it was discipline and screen time that was added in uh, as a card. Homework, which has now become homeschool, which is a huge card, and we'll talk about that. Uh, Watching of kids, so whether it's a toddler or a teenager who's trying to escape quarantine, or again, the toddler tries to bust into your your meetings. Uh And finally, social interactions for kids. I was actually surprised that made the top 12. But a lot of people in my survey were reporting stress about having their kids socialized, and whether that's a pod or on house party, on uh, some sort of 
YouTube group, you know, stuff like that. Yeah, it's extra hard right now to to plan these things. And, you know, I think what's one thing that's so important is that with these cards, I think what they do is... um, for instance, for the weekends, I know I, w- I was a stay-at-home mom for you know 12 years. I know even moms, people who work from home, I think that we all feel like the weekends, for some reason, you talk about time being you know finite for men, infinite for women. For some reasons, the weekends just seem like the women's responsibility, which is where these social interactions and everything come in. And so I, I love what these cards do in the fact of, you know, when you talk about the social interactions and everything, we get a little bit of the free time back, you know, the weekend time. That's one thing I think that so many of us are lacking now is this freedom of our time. Because like you say in the book, you know, our time is like sand. It's it's infinite. And it's just thought that we're never going to run out of it. And we are just constantly on a hamster wheel, never getting off. I, I love that. That you, I feel like if we, you just pick that up and that's all your listeners pick up, then that's to me a victory. Because back to the consciousness raising. If I'm going to tell you, I want you to picture that hourglass. Um, maybe your listeners are too young, but there was that. Whatever yes, the that, days of our lives. Days of our lives right? That I, that was my life before fair play with Seth, where we had his time as diamonds. We guarded it with our lives. And my time was just that, that days of our lives, hourglass. And what I realized that became the core finding of fair play, Danielle. And it's actually why I ended up writing to women. Cause so many people will say, well, why was this book directed towards women? If we are the ones two thirds or more of what it takes to run a home and family, women do $10.9 trillion of unpaid care um, a year globally, right? So this is a a women's issue. So why are you writing to the quote unquote victims or whatever, the people who are aggrieved? And what I said is that this is not a private issue, right? This is not glue sticks. This is not about blueberries. This is not about the one-off fight you and Adam had um, about him taking rights on the lawn tasks. This is about how we value women's time in society. And so that's why I wrote to women, because we do need some consciousness raising for ourselves. So what do I mean by that? Well, what I mean by that is we know um, men's time is viewed as diamonds and our time is viewed as sand, as infinite, as you said beautifully, in the workplace, because even in the same jobs, women get paid less. 80 cents on the dollar, if you're a woman of color, it's more like 50 cents on the dollar to every non-Hispanic white man. And so I knew that vaguely, but what I wasn't, prepared for was for women being the worst purveyors of not protecting and guarding their own time and treating it like sand. And so what do I mean by that? Well, I had so many women in my data set, all walks of life, stay-at-home moms to high-powered moms, breadwinning moms, still same message. Why are you the one picking up the, the call from the school? Why are you the one picking up the call from the school? Let's just, I want to just unpack that one question, right? And so then the answers I would get were things like, well, well, my husband makes more money than me. Okay, you know, his health insurance, like we have to guard his time. Okay, that's fine. But um, according to that argument, Danielle, because I chose philanthropy and my husband chose private equity, um, I would be relegated to the hundred cards for the rest of my life Mm -hmm. because he makes more money than me. When I would, I, I'm going to argue to you that I think my job's more valuable because I'm actually ha- helping those HBO succession type families 
give money back into their communities, right? So um, I think the time is money argument is we have to throw that out. So that's one. Then the other thing women said to me was, well, I'm just wired differently, Eve. You know, I'm, I'm just a better multitasker. Like my husband is better at focusing on one task at a time. So that, Danielle, was actually the only other time I cried besides the day that Seth sent me that. I'm surprised you didn't get Blueberry's text. Um, it was sitting in a, uh, a neuroscientist's office when I was so excited with my pad and my moleskin to ask him, this Harvard-trained, um, very powerful neuroscientist, are women better multitaskers? You know, are we wired differently for care? And this old sort of crotchety white man with sort of, you know, hair out of his ears, he just looked at me and he said, well, I don't really understand your question. I'm like, I don't know, is our brains wired differently? That's what I'm hearing. And he said, well, um, let me just say something to you, Eve. And I said, what? He goes, just imagine a, a, a place where we, men, could convince you, women, that you're better at wiping asses and doing dishes. <laughs> How great for my time, right. right? I get to use it to find, to write my scholarship argument. I got tenure earlier than everybody else. Um, my wife did it all. Um, how great for me. I golf on the weekends, right? I, I protect my time. So he was saying that facetiously, but Danielle, I just, I broke down. I broke down because that was my toxic time message where I felt because I grew up in a single mom household, I didn't need any help. Having it all meant doing it all. I could never ask Seth to take the kids to school. What am I talking about? Of course, his day starts at seven and he needs to work out first. And of course, my day can start at nine. You know, just all that bullshit mm -hmm. that, that, that comes from conditioning us to, to value our time as Sam. And finally, the other most popular one, which was not mine, but a lot of the women I, I interviewed was, well, in the time it takes me to tell him or her or they what to do, I might as well just do it myself. So for that one, I went to Dan Ariely, who's one of my close friends and a Wall Street Journal columnist. He's a behavioral economist. And I said, is that a good argument? In the time it takes me to tell him what to do, I should do it myself. He said, that's the worst argument he's ever heard for women. Because of course it makes sense to tell someone, quote unquote, how to wipe asses and do dishes, right? Because it's at the expense of your finite time. We only get 24 hours in a day. And women's time is not infinite. Until we believe our time is equal, to a man's time, whether it's in the workplace or at home, even if you're not married or married to a woman, these toxic time messages, ultimately, this is the core operating principle of fair play. And unless we value our own time as diamonds, then I can't give you any system really that's gonna work for you because ultimately you will use one of those toxic time messages to bring and condition back all that invisible work on yourself. Wow, my God, I like, the that all just makes, I mean, it makes so much sense. And like you said, it is, it's so sad to think about that we are, and it isn't there, has, has it been proven sort of that the whole maternal instinct thing is sort of, it's like a load of shit, right? Load like, of shit. Right. A, Ruth Feldman, God bless her. She had the beautiful oxytocin study of gay fathers. Uh, people can bond. Um, it is, Paternity leave, I have Darby Saxby, my, this amazing professor that, I, that helped me look at the psychological lens of fair play because I'm a lawyer and a mediator. I wanted to make sure I was doing no harm. Um, and so she was really consultant on the manuscript. She just found out that paternity leave is linked to mother's maternal health, right? This idea that men can be in care 
is, is really powerful and subversive still. We don't see it in media. We don't see it with the next generation. Um, my sons scrub toilets and they do the shit work. And, and our, our, our motto in our house is the shit work is what makes you good at the good work. And they believe it. They understand that this is a life skill. It's not a gender role to wipe their sister's vagina um, and to put a diaper on her. Mm-hmm. And this is the work, this is the movement work. And so I'm glad, you know, that we're sort of, we're ending a little bit on the consciousness raising. And thank you, Danielle, for letting me go there um, deeply because I really believe that um, what you're doing, what I love about your work is um, you bring such honesty, authenticity, and irreverence and humor to really difficult issues. And I, so that's why I really was excited to join you finally, because I was like, I've always wanted to come on your podcast because I think that we need that combination, right? This is not, this, this subject can be dry as hell, but we have to bring a little bit of humor to it and say like, oh my God, I am, um, I'm doing that toxic time thing to myself again, right? And it's not my fault. I don't have guilt and shame over it. This is my societal conditioning. And once we can realize we're all in this together, then it does become a movement. And then we can invite men into care and it's not stigmatizing for them either. And that's really like, I, that's my dream. That's my dream for society. I know. And I, I love, I mean, I love everything you're doing. And first of all, the fact that you just said that about the podcast, I've butterflies because it means so much to me. Thank you. But yeah, I I mean, I I can't, I can't stand the shame. The shame to me is the worst part of all of it. And I know, I mean, I, you know, I'm, I deal with shame every day and still, even though we tell our deepest, darkest secrets to the world, there's still a feeling of, of shame associated. And I think that this whole idea of feeling the shame of, I can't do it all. I have to ask for help. You know, I, I, I'm married to somebody whose mom, I mean, it always did appear that she did it all. And I am so not that person. And, you know, I think that this, this comparison that we have, um, you know, I do other things well that maybe she didn't do as well, or we could sit down and do a whole spreadsheet about all of that. We're all so different, but I love the idea of bringing this all down to an equal playing field and saying, okay, we have, like you said, a system and we're going to do it and we're going to check in and guess what? we're going to be happier. Our communication is going to be better. We're going to have, you know, better alone time, better sex, better parenting, better. Everything is going to feel better. And I always say after that fight we had that night, when my, my, my veins were pulsing out of my head and my body was shaking and it was like the worst feeling ever. If I could somehow never go back to that feeling (laughs) again. You know, like I think that that's- I'm tearing up because I feel the same way. It's just, it's um, even in the COVID and I think about so many women who are going to have to go through that feeling. And if I can just affect one person's life to say, you don't have to feel like this, or if you do, don't make it a surprise. And so often I call myself the ghost of Christmas future. Um, And I don't want to be the ghost of Christmas future always, but I I feel a duty to, to be that. Because like you said, I don't want Danielle, you ever to feel that way or to feel that guilt and shame to be like, I don't have a voice for what's happening to me. And so if I could give a voice to this and say, 
this movement to value care, that this invisible work is real, what you're feeling is real, and the insomnia is real, and the shame is real, and the, the intensive parenting is real, and the, 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 the Pinterest perfect comparisons are real, and um, these are real constructs that affect our mental health. And so that's really um, why ultimately the, the winning of this game, and this is the only place I ask for scorekeeping. Because again, like I said, for me, it was when Seth took over extracurricular sports, I got six hours of my week back. When I saw him on the, the text organizing the being snack mom, and uh, which I always thought was so fucking gendered and ridiculous that he was, they were called snack moms, but <laughs> he was snack mom and he was carpool mom, whatever. I was like, amazing. That was six weeks. That was almost enough for me. And then we built and built on that, right? On this ownership mindset. And to the point where it, it started though, right? Where the point where Seth 100% believes my time is diamonds now. Mm. And, it, but it took us a journey. It's a practice. And if you go back to those patterns, we have to say, okay, we're, we're back in these patterns now. Um, and why are we here? Oh, we didn't check in for a week. Okay, great. Well, thank you. You know, Ben interrupted me 20 times today. He didn't, he didn't, he, he protected your time as diamonds. And why did that happen? Right. And talk to our kids about that um, and have them hold cards, which has been so beautiful for their executive function. So it almost does become like a rainbow effect or a cascading waterfall and that things build on each other but you're not going to be there it took me eight years um it doesn't have to take you as long but what i think what you do so well danielle and adam even though you're not here adam i'll say to you mm -hmm. is you tell people they're not alone and by normalizing these conversations by people saying like i'm not alone it's that's the start mm -hmm. that you have to bring pre-conscious to consciousness first and it feels uncomfortable sometimes yeah yeah, I, I always, you know, I think I do think vulnerability is contagious and, you know, you're saying it won't take eight years. Well, most likely it's not going to take eight years because you've taken so much of the legwork out for us. And I, on behalf of all my listeners and everything, I'm so grateful to you. You're such a wonderful, beautiful person. Um, and I cannot wait to get the cards I think I'm so, I, I'm so excited and we're going to video Adam and I are going to video. It will be, you were saying you have to bring humor to things. I, it's going to be extremely humorous. I am sure, but I'm sure also it is going to bring so much of that, you know, um, that, uh, understanding of the finite time and everything to our lives that I think we need. And I thank you so much. Oh my God. I'm so excited for you to do that. I will say my number one tip is most people are looking for their what, right? Because we get so frustrated in the moment, we need things off our plate. But if you're not gonna invest in the why, it doesn't work. And so what I will say is, my homework for you is when you do the cards, instead of saying, reverting back to who does what in the past, or looking forward to who you want to do what, if you could just sit in what you value as a family first, it's highly transformative. So to look at the exercise as, do we value thank you notes? Well, if we Fuck do- no. Right. Okay. No, good. Thank Out. you notes. No, but that's what I mean. Done. Okay. Right. So you value home furnishings. Well, yeah, I guess for, if we had to replace a pillow, but not during COVID, fuck that. Out. <laughs> um, we value diapering and potty training. No, we don't have that in our deck anymore. Right. right? So it's just, it's the idea of what you value together and, and what you each mean by it. Like what does morning routine mean for each of you? That is the most important part of the exercise. And often I find that if people say to me, oh, well, fair play didn't work, or it's usually typically because they're skipping to the list part. They love seeing the list. 
and they want to just start assigning who's doing what. But unfortunately, like we said before, this is a practice. This is about connection. And part of connection is, is understanding what you each value. And if you don't each value the same things, that's okay. You can come up with a minimum standard of care for what has to get done. And you start a beautiful process, as we said before, building upon small victories. I love it. I love it. I'm hoping to get the wild card. Is there one <laughs> in the deck? <laughs> well, I want you to get your unicorn space card, which you have. I will, I'm going to say, put words in your mouth and say, I think your unicorn space, what makes you uniquely you, Danielle, is this podcast. And so you need to prioritize it always put a oh. boundary around it and say that even in COVID, this is, this is important work. There is no guilt and shame for not being a role when you are doing this because you are bringing really, really important cultural understandings in a very humorous way to the world. Well, thank you. Oh, I loved talking to you and I hope that we can talk again. And um, I am so grateful that you came on. I know how busy you are and I know how valuable your time is. It, it truly is like diamonds. And um, thank you so, so much. I'm so excited for everybody to try the cards and read the book. And thank you, Eve. Thank you, Danielle. Okay, right. we'll Stay right, well. Bye. you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.